the author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Now, many have become Levitical priests since they are, pre are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and, and exalted above the heavens. Leading us in worship this morning. You know, we started off this service by uh, reading from the scriptures that says there's nowhere that we can go where God isn't. And um, what a joy just to sit there for a moment and, and just to hear you sing that hymn and now just to feel the nearness of God's presence uh, and, and the Spirit just bearing witness with ours that we are children of God. And what a joy to come together for worship. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray this morning, shall we? Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for your goodness towards us. And what a joy it is to come together to worship, to be able to lift our, our voices together in song uh, to you, our great God and our great Savior. Thank you, Lord, for the riches of your grace. Thank you for the nearness of your spirit. And uh, thank you that for this time of worship. And now as we come and just look into your word, we pray your spirit to continue to be at work in and through our lives. Help us as we come to your word. Lead us into all truth. Help us see Jesus. And um, may we be transformed uh, through the renewing of our minds. We give you thanks. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. If you're new, our guest today, my name is Russell, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Philpott Church. It is my privilege to bring God's word to you this morning. Thanks, everyone, for leading us in worship, and uh, it's, it's always a joy just to be able to sing and worship the Lord together. Just let me encourage you just to follow up from Jan. You know, I, I'd encourage you just to drop by the, the Christmas tree out in the atrium this morning and pick up one of those tags. You know, as we were uh, looking at our, our, you know, events and things for Christmas, we, we, we really wanted to provide opportunities for us as a church to serve, to reach out, uh, to, to look beyond ourselves. And this is one way uh, which you can do that. There'll be other ways that we'll tell you about as we go through the Christmas season. But just before you leave today, pop by the atrium, pick up a, a tag, uh, and, uh, and get involved. If you want to take several tags, please uh, uh, feel free to do that. And if they're all gone this morning, we'll fill up the tree again for next Sunday. How, how's that? Uh, but drop by and do that. But you know what? As you, as you, as you shop for, for those gifts, um, pray. Pray for the people that will receive those gifts. Pray for, for the families that, that those gifts will go to and pray that God would, uh, by his grace, make himself real to, to people uh, whom you've purchased those gifts for. 
I encourage you, drop by the tree before you leave and, and pick, up, uh, pick up some gift tags and, and, uh, as an act of service. Uh, next, uh, next Sunday, uh, we're having more baptisms. And uh, so that, that's good news, and I invite you to come back. There's going to be some great stories and more baptisms, and uh, we'll be celebrating together again next uh, Sunday morning. You know, before a sermon is ever preached to a group of people, it is preached to the preacher first. And, um, you know, there was a great uh, American preacher of the last century who described preaching as, as the sweet agony of preaching. And uh, there, there's a joy that comes with, with preaching and teaching God's Word, but, but then there's also this aspect of, of the Word just really impacting uh, the preacher's own life and, and shaping and convicting uh, the preacher's life as, as he and, uh, prepares to, to deliver God's Word. And I, and I, found, I found our Scripture passage this week uh, to be especially challenging. And we're continuing our sermon series through a letter in the Bible called Philippians. And our scripture passage contains one of the most famous lines in this letter. And if you know anything about Philippians, you know that there are many great lines in Philippians. We'll come to many of them. But many memorable lines that are part of our own, um, I suppose, Christian vocabulary come from the book of Philippians. But here is one of those most famous lines. For me to live is Christ... And to die is gain. A concise, memorable, forceful statement expressing the Apostle Paul's heartbeat. I will live and die for Christ. And so we're drawn into Paul's bold confession, his passionate pursuit. And, and as I read and reread the text, I found myself asking, you know, Russell, what is at the center of your life? What am I living for? And every one of us must answer this question. And so as we begin... Think about this. How, how would you fill in the blank? Living is, think about that. How, how, how would you fill in the blank? And I, I was, as I was drawn into this passage early this week, just rereading the text, I, I was drawn into asking myself that question. Russell, fill in the blank. Living is and so we turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to pick up our text in verse number 19, and we will read into chapter 2, uh, verse 4 of chapter 2. Philippians chapter 1, we'll pick up at verse number 19, and in fact, right at the end of verse 18, Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2, verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Paul is not a free man as he writes this letter, and he wonders what will happen to him. Will he be free again? And as a prisoner staring at death, Paul says, you know, part of me wants to get out of jail and continue preaching the gospel and to help you grow in the faith. But the desire to leave and be with Jesus, Paul says, is also quite powerful. And there are days when I can't think of anything else. Verses 20 and 21, he says, It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So whether I live or die, Paul says, I'm confident that Jesus will be better known. And, and that'll be enough. But it's this little phrase, for me, where the personal application lies. And, and we, we, must, we must fill in the blank personally. And, and the blank often gets filled in with a lot of cheap substitutes. Things like money or sexual pleasure or power, entertainment, or beauty. Uh, but as Tony Murdy and Francis Chan write, using the logic of this passage, consider 
what might fill the second blank if you fill the first one with one of those substitutes. For example, if you say, well, living is money, then you might fill in the second blank with dying is being broke because you can't take it with you. You know that, right? If, if you say that living is sexual pleasure, then you would conclude that dying is having no pleasure at all. What about power? Well, the second blank would be dying is being powerless. If, if you live for entertainment, then your gravestone would read, dying is having no more fun. In this short life, what will you live for? And, and all of the things I just mentioned are, are gifts of God to be managed, but they're not aims in life. And so Paul would say to us, spend your life on something that will matter a million years from now. If you say living is Christ, then you can joyfully say dying is gain. Dying is better. Living for Christ not only takes the sting out of death, but also makes death gloriously attractive. You see, only living for Jesus does that. As I was thinking about Paul, you know, I, I, was, I was reminded of uh, Reverend Hyun Soo Lim, the, the uh, Canadian pastor who I'm sure we all followed, who spent two and a half years in a North Korean prison. Uh, I was pleased to be at his church just last year, late Presbyterian Church in Mississauga for a, for a conference. And uh, he, 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 in, this, in, in his time in, in North Korean prison, he talks about daily digging three-foot holes through frozen mud, breaking apart frozen coal in a storage facility. His spring and summer were spent outside, toiling eight hours a day in the scorching sun. He, he said he ate over 2,700 meals in isolation. He lost almost a third of his body weight in two months. And, and in 2017, uh, by God's grace, he returned to his Mississauga congregation. And, and, and what did he say? He said, I did not have a day of gloom. And as I, as I thought about that, I, I was drawn again to Paul who said, yeah, I, I will rejoice. Lorna Duick, who was writing for the Globe and Mail, uh, wrote a story, an article about this experience, and she writes of how Pastor Lim turned moments of despair into trust in God. And she said, then the reality of how a pastor uh, walks with God when he's going through hell was revealed. Reverend Lim stuck to prayer, Bible reading, scripture memorization, thankfulness, singing to God, and repeated the practice over and over and over again. He sang to God for more than eight hours each of the 130 Sundays he was imprisoned. And the mystery of what happens internally to a person living out that rhythm was undeniable. And I thought of that as I imagined Paul, a prisoner wrestling with his future, 
confidently writing, I will rejoice for I know that through my life and even in my death, Jesus will be honored, Jesus will be made known, and friends, in that will be enough for me. So after reflecting upon his own imprisonment in the future, Paul, he shifts his focus to his relationship with the Philippians and, and offers a very strong appeal. And, and really, this is the heart of the matter. And, and the primary reason behind the writing of this letter, verse 27, Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, that's, that's, that's a challenging admonition, isn't it? Paul issues a challenging reminder that we make a statement about the gospel with our lives. And this has individual but corporate application. So how, how we live in community, how we live as individuals, as a church, reflects on the gospel. It reflects on the person and work of Jesus. Um, Damien Cox is a, uh, a journalist, um, been a sports broadcaster for many years. He spent his life uh, beating up on my leafs, as he, as he writes. Uh, and, and, a, and, a, and a couple of, uh, a couple of months ago, he, he, he tweeted this. He tweeted the following. He said, he said, this is life, driving along Dundas Street West when it gets narrowed down to two lanes. And I go to change lanes, and a guy won't let me in. Ever have that happen? The funny part, as he goes on in his tweet, is the guy who wouldn't let me in had on the back of his truck a big logo that said, try Jesus. And he ends off his tweet by saying, okay, gotcha. As if to say, yeah, uh, funny. You, you will not see on my vehicle any stickers that say, try Jesus. Because unfortunately, I've had moments in driving when I have been anything but a Christian. Paul is reminding us that our lives reflect the gospel. And how we live reflects Jesus. And Paul is calling the Philippians to live in such a way that they become a credit to the gospel message. We are to live in a way that is, is consistent with the word of God, with the gospel. Uh, you know, we sometimes can have a transactional view of salvation. We, we can treat salvation as, as a transaction, or, or maybe as, 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 as we treat something like fire insurance. It's, it's, it's there in case we need it. It, it, it's tucked away in, in cases every time when, when we're going to need it, but it has no real daily uh, practical bearing on how we live. And so the gospel as, mere, as a mere transaction is not helpful. The gospel must shape our lives. The gospel gives us a new identity from which we live. And it's an identity that informs our behavior and our actions. And so the gospel then, the gospel shapes our love. It inspires us towards matters of justice, to value life, to walk humbly, to speak the truth, to love neighbors. The gospel has this, this transforming effect on our lives. 
And so Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Live in Philippi, Paul is saying, live in Philippi as worthy citizens of your new citizenship, as, as, as children of God. In other words, Paul is saying, remember who you are. Uh, Friday afternoon, Angela and I were at the driving, driver's testing building. I think it's what it was called. Uh, I recently remembered that I still, we still have Newfoundland driver's licenses. And if we're going to live in this new land, <laughs> that we are going to have to start abiding by the customs of this new land. And uh, I, I come to figure out that indeed we're probably uh, maybe a month behind when we should have gotten our driver's licenses transferred. So we're at the, we're at the center and uh, um, yeah, there, there, you need to do some work on the process there. It, it's, it's, it's a little long and laborious. Uh, but anyway, um, it was testing our resolve to, to be a credit to the gospel, I can assure you. But finally, we get up, to, uh, get up to the counter, and they're trying to figure out, well, who this Russell Bartlett is. Because apparently, as she does a, 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 a search on my driver's license, there are several Russell Bartlett's. And, as, and maybe you've had this. On some of my documents, my middle name is used. And other documents, it's not used. And so we're trying to figure out. And so she's asking me questions about, who are you? And, you know, have you had, how many tickets have you had? And, and all of this. And, and finally, she had to narrow me down by, by saying, well, did you live anywhere else? And, and way back in, in, the, in the early 1990s, I lived in Winnipeg, Manitoba for a couple of years. And sure enough, she said, what, what, was, your, what was the name of the street there? And I told her, she said, I found you. <laughs> found you. You might expect that Angela's process was a whole lot easier. I'm, I'm always the trouble in, in this relationship. But she found me. She found out who I was. and That's kind of, I think, what Paul is getting at here. And we're going to return to this point later on in this message. Paul is saying you have to remember, you have to remember who you are. You, you, you have to remember your new citizenship. And you've got to live out from that place. That, that's what has to inform how you live, how you interact with people, your values. You've got to remember who you are. So let's consider this phrase a little more. Worthy of the gospel. I think in the context here, we might say it, it really means to ascribe worth. In other words, we might say, live in a way that shows that what we believe is of supreme worth. Ultimately, Paul is saying, live in a way that shows that Jesus is big, that he's glorious. Make the gospel look big. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Live in a way that makes the gospel look big. Make the gospel look glorious. Look at verse 27 again. 
Let's read it again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now notice, notice Paul says to them, look, don't allow your way of life to be influenced by whether I'm coming to you or not. Now, for those of you who ever invite company over, people to your house, you know that there's a process involved. Because most times, most of us are not living in expectation of company coming. And, and, and when we invite people over, we want to tidy the place up, right? You want to make sure that things are where they need to be and so that they don't think that you guys are just some crazy people who, who, who live in this house. And, you know, so you want, to, you want to get ready. And Paul is saying, Paul is saying look, don't, don't be influenced by the fact of whether I'm going to come or not. As if, if you know that I'm going to come, you're going to, you're going to improve on some stuff and, and get ready for my, for, for my arrival. When I, when, I was in, uh, when I was in high school, I worked uh, uh, pumping gas for, for a couple of summers. My, my uncle, my father's brother, owned a, uh, an Irving, Irving, East Coast, owned an Irving gas uh, station, a service center. And so us Bartlett's often uh, had, a, had, a, had a, an opportunity to work pumping gas uh, for, for a job. And I remember that back in those days, I vaguely remember the instruction that there are going to be sometimes some company executives who are going to come uh, and pretend to be normal people and pull up and you're going to serve them gas, but they're going to be pretending like they're normal people, not company executives, because they want to see the experience that, uh, that, that they're going to experience. So say the right greeting, you know, have your uniform on, have your name tag on, do all the right things because you don't know when the company executive is going to come and, and have, uh, have some gas. You get what Paul is saying. Whether I'm coming or not, don't let that influence how you, how you live. You just go on making the gospel look big by how you live. And then Paul gets specific in how they make the gospel look big. In, in Philippi, verse 27, he gets specific and says, you'll make the gospel look big by standing firm together and by striving together for the gospel with courage. That's how you, as a community, Paul says, that's how you're going to make the gospel look big. Standing firm together and striving together. And so make Jesus glorious by being united in the gospel and for the gospel. Stand firm together. Strive together. May the gospel be the unifying force now, that's, that's relevant. That's, that's relevant to us. And then as we, as we move into chapter 2 then, Paul suggests ways the Philippian church can cultivate uh, this, this unity in and for the gospel. And so we can conclude that making the gospel big in Philippi is grounded in attitudes and actions within the church. That's where Paul is going with this. Making the gospel big in Philippi is grounded in attitudes and actions that exist within the church. And so as, as, as you look at chapter 2, it opens, it opens with a series of if statements in verse number 1. 
right? Look at it there. So if there is encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, um, fellowship in the Spirit, affection and mercy. Now, I want you to note three things about these if statements. First of all, uh, I think they're framed in this way for rhetorical effect. And so if might also mean since. They might be since or because statements. And so if means, still means, it, it, it's about certainties, not possibilities. The second thing is that the focus is on Christ and what is theirs in Christ. And thirdly, take note of how the blessings of the gospel here come before Paul makes certain exhortations. So Paul says, if, or, or because you have been transformed by Christ, and if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, then do this for me. Do what? Verses 3 and 4. Do what? Unite in love and humility. Unite in love and humility. And I think it's critical for us to recognize that doing flows out of being with. And that Paul first draws us into the blessings of being with Christ, the blessings of the gospel, and from that we're called to action. It's like Paul is, 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 is encouraging the Philippians to recall God's supernatural work in their lives. And by recalling that, that would move them to do what was necessary to ensure their unity and support. If all we do, if all we do is tell people what they should be doing will burn people out. A focus on telling people that they must be better and do better is to place on people burdens they can't carry. And this is where the gospel is so relevant and so glorious and so beautiful. Because what the, the gospel tells us that we aren't good. We can't be good enough. But Jesus was and is good enough for us. And by being united to Jesus by faith, we are now empowered to live in a way that makes the gospel big. That's the glory of the gospel. And it's obvious from Paul's letter that living for Christ has ethical implications. There, there, there's no doubt that, that the gospel does have ethical implications. But Paul knows that the Philippians can only live for Christ by first being, being with Christ, by inhaling deep gospel truths. And so the Philippians need to be drawn into the blessings of the gospel, and so do we. And, and what amazing blessings we have, and they, they bear repeating. Paul says, if, if, 
if you've, if you've had encouragement from Christ, to, to know the blessing of knowing Christ and being found in him. Because of the comfort of, from God's love. You know, the love of Christ comforts us. He's ours. We are his. The fellowship in, in the Spirit, that the Spirit unites us as brothers and sisters, but the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. And if we've experienced God's affection and mercy, you know, we, we share in a common experience of being the objects of God's compassion. And so Paul is saying, live with this in view. And we can only live worthy of the gospel. We can only make the gospel big by continually leaning into who we are in Christ. Continually preaching to ourselves the benefits of the gospel and then living from the overflow of a life planted deep within the rich soil of gospel truths. And as I was reading and, and meditating on these words, I, I, just, I just felt the Spirit prompting me that, reminding me that living with and for Christ is ultimately a matter of my affection. You know, who, what has captured my heart? And I think that's what Paul is driving at here in verse number one. I mean, as, as you read that, it's clear that Paul is just... He's, he's, he's stirring the affections of, of these people. He, he's stirring their affections by, by causing, pointing them to the things that they have experienced supernaturally through faith in Jesus. The encouragement in Christ and the love of Christ and the, and the fellowship in the Spirit. He, he's appealing to their affections. James Smith wrote a great book titled, You Are What You Love. And in that book, he suggests that, that the fundamental discipleship question is not, what do you know, but what do you want? And that our wants and our longings and our desires are at the core of our identity. Our wants and desires are really the wellspring from which our actions and our behavior flows. And so we might say, you can't think your way to holiness Spiritual growth does not happen by mere information transfer or by simply being told what to do. Spiritual growth, changed behavior happens by cultivating and attending to our loves. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, oh, dear friends, because you've been encouraged by Christ, and because you've experienced the love of Christ, and because you've been brought together in, in fellowship in the Spirit with other brothers and sisters, and, and because you've experienced God's mercy and, 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 and his, his comfort, do this for me. Tim Keller says that to the degree you experience God's love toward you, that he sees you as beautiful and radiant, you will be changed. John Piper says, what is becoming a Christian? Becoming a Christian is not only believing truth, it's finding a treasure. That's what it means to become a Christian. You find the treasure. And if you find the treasure that is worth your selling everything to have, it's the greatest treasure imaginable. So have you found him? I'm, Piper says, I'm not asking if you're going to church. 
or if you've signed the card, or if you've prayed the prayer, or if you believe the doctrines, I'm saying, have you found him? Are you explosively ready to let it all go to have Jesus? Or is he just marginal? To be converted is to find Christ as a treasure. And I think Keller and Piper and James Smith and the Apostle Paul are all suggesting that the essence of being a Christian isn't in trying harder, but in enjoying more. Not that we can't change without trying, but it's enjoyment that empowers effort. It's our pleasure in God, a deepening experience of God's love that empowers a life that makes the gospel big. Friends, the baseline of living a Christian life is this. My chains fell off. I've been set free. That's the baseline. And from there, from that place, I live from that place of unspeakable joy, freedom from guilt, and from that place new life springs, obedience flows, joy rises all from that baseline. So as chapter 2 opens and as we move to finish up today, Paul draws us into the blessings of the gospel. And from these blessings then, he calls the Philippians to action in verses 3 and 4 and says, friends, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's where we'll pick up next time as we return here and come back. Friends, Paul is suggesting, Paul has suggested that making the gospel big in Philippi is grounded in attitudes and actions within the church. That's, that's relevant to us. That, that making Jesus known, that making the gospel big here where, where we are in our space is tied to the attitudes and actions right here inside the church. And that living a life worthy of the gospel looks like dying with Christ to oneself and being raised to walk in newness of life with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I like what Matt Chandler says when he says it means living grace-filled lives that grant patience and mercy and gentleness for the spiritual journeys of others and a respect for the differences and quirks we all bring to the Lord's table. But friends, when all of us, when different kinds of people walk together in unity and humility, when we stand together and when we strive together through good times and not so good times, when we do that, the gospel looks big. Jesus is known. Jesus is lifted up. Let's all stand this morning.
We're going to be led in a, a great closing song that points us, um, points us to Jesus, that um, causes us to um, remember that this is all about the glory of, glory of Christ. And as we, as we sing this great song, let, let's, let's give Jesus glory. And I would say to us in closing, two things. Let's, let's be drawn into a greater vision of who God is. I would encourage you to go back to, to chapter 2 and read that verse number 1 over this week. Be, be drawn into that. If you have experienced any encouragement from Christ, if, if you have, have experienced God's love, if you have experienced a fellowship that comes by being together in the Spirit, if you have, have experienced the, the mercy and affection of God, then, then do this. And so begin there this week. Over and over, remember those, the, the supernatural reality that you are brought into by, by grace. And see God. And then the second thing, friends, is continue to focus in on, on Jesus. Make this about Jesus. Strive for unity. Walk humbly. And, and that's, that's going to be important for us. It's, it's going to be important for us to anchor ourselves there when we go through um, perhaps uh, tough seasons. Maybe as we walk through uh, changes that, that may be uh, coming and, and, and not everyone understands that, it's going to be important for us to be grounded in, in this reality. That we are called to stand together and to strive together because our focus is on Jesus. Our focus is not on anything else. It's not on, you know, buildings or programs. Our focus is on Jesus. That, that's, that's where our focus is. And, and because of that, we can strive together and stand together. We can strive for unity. We can walk humbly because our eyes are upon him. Let's sing it together in closing. And so, friends, if, if there's any encouragement in Christ and any comfort in love and any participation in the Spirit and any affection and sympathy. Do this. Strive for unity and walk humbly. Look out for the interests of other people. Lord, thank you that we can gather like this. Bless this, your church. Bless us as a people. Bless us as a, as a community. Help us to realize that the actions and attitudes that exist here are a means of making your gospel look big and glorious. Lord, we want people to know you. Whether we live or die, Lord Jesus, may you be better known. Pray your blessing upon us as we leave. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If there are those of you who want prayer, please come forward. We'll be glad to pray for you. God bless you.